us bow in a word of prayer together, could we? Lord, we renounce salvation by works. I renounce it. We are not good enough to save ourselves. We cannot earn your favor. We are sinful creatures. We are sin-stained. We are tainted. We are deserving of hell. We are deserving of condemnation. But Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And his death has made a way for us to be saved. We renounce salvation by works, Lord. But we believe in justification by faith. We believe in Jesus Christ who died for our sin, but also rose from the dead. And even now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. Jesus, you are there right now saying, my blood has paid for their sin. Lord, thank you for that. We give you our praise this morning because of what you've done for us. You created us. We didn't create these hands. We didn't create these vocal cords. We didn't create these minds. You did. And not only did you create them, you redeemed them so that we can spend eternity with you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for that. We praise you for that. God, turn our attention now to your word. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. We long for it. Holy Spirit, do your work right now that only you can do, convicting those who need to be convicted, encouraging those who need to be encouraged. And Lord, help us to be quick to be obedient to what you ask us to do today by the truths of your word. If you, if you agree with that, Harvest, if you want that, say amen with me. Say it. Amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Let's do this. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn together to the book of Psalms, if we could. Psalm 127 is where we're going to start today. So I, I invite you to turn to each of the texts that we look at today, or you can look at them at the screen. I'm going to I'm going to look at a, a number of different texts today, um, but I, I want to start there. You know, we're continuing our series, Brave in the New World, and we're looking at these important foundational topics that Christ, Christians need to address biblically, topics that our world uh, is wrestling with and coming to the wrong conclusions on. We need to come to the right conclusions on these issues. And you could probably guess what I'm going to talk about today based on what I talked about the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about marriage. Last week, I talked about sex. Today, I'm going to talk about kids, right? And that's the right sequence. Y'all with me? Marriage, sex, kids. There's, y'all might remember that old playground taunt that we learned when we were kids. First comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes the baby in the baby carriage. There was more wisdom in that taunt than we knew at the time. That's right. That's the sequence. And speaking of kids, here's what the psalmist 
King Solomon actually says about kids in Psalm 127, starting in verse 3. He says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows, I love this analogy, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are a children, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There's this commercial on TV that I, I loathe, and I want to talk about that as we get started this morning. I've been preaching at Harvest for about 12 years. I don't think I've ever mentioned a TV commercial once, but I'm going to do it now. And if there was ever a week to get away with it, it would probably be Super Bowl Sunday. So here's the commercial. It's actually a Hotels.com commercial, and there are these two ladies at, at the park with their kids, and it's, it's cold and it's dreary outside, and they're bundled up, and it looks like they're in Chicago or Detroit or Cleveland, some cold place, and they're, they're looking at photos of their friend, and they're, they're hate-liking their friend's photo about a vacation that she's on in some desirable place, California, Hawaii, some other sunny, desirable place to be. And one of the moms turns to the other mom and asks, why does she get to be there while we're stuck here? Implying that, you know, we're stuck in the cold with these lousy, sniveling kids while she gets to go out and do all these fun stuff. And then the spokesperson for Hotels.com, Captain Obvious, is there. And he answers this rhetorical question by answering birth control, basically. That's why you got to stay here with your lousy kids, why that person's off there having all kinds of fun. You know, and if, if, if we had only taken the appropriate measures, if we only had prevented this pregnancy, we wouldn't have these lousy kids. Then we could go away and have a fun time and do anything that we wanted to do. Let me ask you, Harvest Decatur, is that God's perspective on children? Is it now? Is that the psalmist's perspective on children here? No, the Bible says instead that children are a blessing from the Lord. I want to affirm that this morning. They are a blessing from the Lord. They are a reward, says Solomon, a fruit of the womb. And, and I love the way that Solomon uses warrior imagery here. You know, George Bennett, he preached on this uh, passage a couple years ago. It's really good. And, you know, I love that warrior image is that these arrows that are meant to be fired what, what it be, and, and that really appeals to me because I'm your pastor and I've been talking about raising up this, this army of Jesus followers. And, and Solomon gets this with this writing. That's what we're doing here. And, and that's not the perspective of our world. You know, here's the thing. In our world today, kids, kids are bothersome to us in our world. The, world. the world wants to limit their number. The world thinks they take up too much space. The world thinks they, they hurt our environment, so don't, don't have too many. The world wants to abort kids and marginalize kids, and even, and this is really weird, adultify them. We live in this really weird day where um, grown-ups act like kids, and kids are expected to act like grown-ups. That, that is weird, really weird. Ben Sass, he talks about this in his book, um, Senator Ben Sass, 
The book is called The Vanishing American Adult. Y'all should get that book and read it. And he talks about the, the infantilizing of adults and the adultifying of children. This is something really weird going on in our world right now. So, you know, we've got some kids here in the congregation this morning. What's a kid to do in a world like this? What's a parent to do in a world like this? What's a church to do in a world like this? What are we going to do, Pastor Tony? Here's what we do. We do what we've done every week in our series, Brave in the New World. We hold fast to the truths of Scripture. And we defy what the world tells us when the, wor- when the world is at odds with the Holy Scriptures. Everybody with me? Can I get an amen on that? We do what the scriptures tell us. So here we go, Harvest Decatur. Here's your outline for today. You can take your notes and write these down. I'm going to give you seven answers to the question, what does the Bible teach about children? Seven? Pastor Tony, you don't got time for that. Hey, the game doesn't start till 530. We got all day, all right? Seven answers. You guys need to hear this. And if you don't have kids in this congregation, then, you know, write these down anyway. Write these down anyway and help the parents of Harvest Decatur to follow through with these. Okay? This is our thing. All of us in the church are committed to this. Write this down as number one. I've already pretty much given you this first one. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And by the way, Harvest Decatur, that's not just children. It's also grandchildren are a blessing from the Lord. Shout out to all the grandmas and the grandpas out there. Grandchildren are a blessing from the Lord. The Bible says this, Proverbs 17, verse 6, children, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Grandma, grandpa, wear your crown. The crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. Children are a blessing from the Lord, so are grandchildren. They come over and you can have fun with them, and then when they get rowdy, you can send them home with their parents. Hallelujah. You know, I've been doing some research this last week. This, this is sinking deeply into my heart, and I want to just emphasize these really key things because I've been preparing really for the last two weeks to preach a message on the sanctity of life. So I'm going to do that next week. And I've been doing some research this week on Margaret Sanger. So, you know, Margaret Sanger said this. Tell me what you all think about this. She said, the most serious evil of our time is that of encouraging the bringing into this world of large families. The most immoral practice of the day is breeding too many children. What do you all think about that, Harvest Decatur? I don't think she would like what's going on here at Harvest Decatur. Here's another quote. Sanger said this. This stuff is chilling. She says, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. Knowledge of birth control is essentially moral. And as she writes, it's really weird. It's like a religion to her. She writes in moral, immoral categories about birth control and sterilization and eugenics. It's creepy stuff. She says, knowledge of birth control is essentially moral in general. It's, it's general, though prudent practice must lead to a higher individuality and ultimately to a cleaner race. 
Many of you know this, but Margaret Sanger was a renowned eugenicist. She was also the foundress of a multi-billion dollar organization that specializes in aborting babies, an organization that our government, by the way, gives millions and millions of dollars to every year, an organization called Planned Parenthood. For more on that, you can come back next week. We'll talk about it. My message today, though, is not about eugenics. It's not about abortion. Quite the opposite, actually. Today's message is about having babies. And today's message is about stewarding this great gift that we've been given called children. Okay? So it's not, it's not just about having babies. You've got to do more than just have them. You've got you to shepherd them. You've got to disciple them. So go ahead and write this down as number two. Let's drill down a little deeper in this question. What does the Bible teach about children? Children are a blessing from the Lord, number one. Number two, children need direction from their parents. They do. The Bible says, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You might say, Pastor Tony, that's a truism. That's not a promise. Okay, embrace the truism. Embrace it as a truism and do this. Here's another truism, Proverbs 1, verse 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. I like to recite this to my son in Hebrew, Shemab. It has more forcefulness when I say it in Hebrew. Listen to daddy. Listen to your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they, listen up kids in this room, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The Bible says this, Proverbs 29 verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let me ask you, Harvest Decatur, what is your vision for your kids' lives? What is your vision for them? Do you have a vision? Are you giving them direction? I'll just tell you right now, the government has a vision for your children's lives. LGBT activists have a vision for your children's lives. The school system has a vision for your kids' lives. Their baseball coach has a vision for your children's lives. Your children's friends have a vision for your children's lives. All of this is competing right now. What is your vision for their lives? If you're, if you're trying to piggyback on one of those other visions, you've already failed. What is your vision for their lives? The Bible says where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, the people run wild, and I want to be clear about that. That Hebrew word, prophetic vision, chazon, it has the idea of God-directed, God-honoring vision, revelation from the Lord. If you don't have that, the people run wild. Your kids run wild. You've got to give them something better, something more substantive than what the world is feeding them. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, but let me just ask you guys, do you know what the verse is right before this in Proverbs? Proverbs 29, 18 is a very famous verse that's used for a lot of things, and some good, some not so good. But I want to show you the context of this. In verse 17, right before this, it says this, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. <laughs> How interesting. He will, he will give delight to your heart. 
I don't think that's a coincidence that these two verses are packaged together. I know Proverbs, you know, there's a randomness to Proverbs, the latter verses, latter chapters of Proverbs, and, you know, the context sometimes can turn on a dime. But I think it was intentional to bring these two ideas together. The, the author is giving you a contrast right here. There is visionless parenting. There is godless parenting. There is Bibleless parenting. You do that, your kids will run wild. And then there is vision parenting. There is God-honoring parenting. There is Bible-saturated parenting. Do that. If you do that, then with discipline and instruction, your children will give you rest. They will give you delight to your heart. To that, you might say, okay, vision. I need vision, 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 Pastor Tony. I gotta, what's, what's my vision? What, what's the vision that I should have for my kids? Here it is. Let me help you with it, Okay. Your vision for your kids as they grow up, three things. Fear God, know God's word, and follow Christ. That's what you're going for. Do I need to say those again? Fear God, know God's word, and follow Christ. That's your vision for their lives. If they have that, they have everything they need, even if they don't have anything else. If they don't have that, then they got nothing even if they have everything else. That's it. That's what you're going for. They don't need a Harvard education. Honestly, they're probably better off without a Harvard education. They don't need a big contract to play professional sports. Honestly, they're probably better off not playing professional sports. They don't need to be a virtuoso pianist. They don't need to know how to speak a second language. We live in America. All they need is English. It's good if they can speak a second language, but they don't need that. They don't need to know how to conjugate Greek and Latin verbs. It's helpful if you know how to do that, but they don't need that. What they need, they need to fear God, they need to know God's word, and they need to follow Christ. And I, I know, let me take my foot off the gas for a second here. I know, parents, that's putting a lot of pressure on you, you know? Welcome to Harvest Decatur. And, and you might say that's too much pressure, Pastor Tony. It doesn't, their salvation, they're following Christ, they're fearing God, doesn't solely, you know, depend upon me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's between the Lord and them. That's between them and the Lord. It's, you know, there's other people that are participating, grandparents, the church. But I just want you to know, parents, you have the most strategic role in your children's lives to helping them follow, even more strategic than the church. I know, I hope you know how much that pains me to say that. Even more strategic than the church in teaching your children God's word and introducing them to Christ. When we do baby dedications, what do we do? We, we call our parents. It's not about the babies. The babies won't even remember it. It's about the parents. The parents are making a commitment before the Lord. We're going to teach our children to fear God, and we're going to introduce them to Christ. That's what they commit to. Parents, your role in that is so strategic. Own that. Don't be negligent with that responsibility. Write this down as number three in your notes. Children need direction from their parents. Children also need discipline from their parents. I'll never forget the following statement by one parent. 
Here's what one dad said about raising kids. He said, raising kids is like pushing an old car in first gear with the emergency brake jammed on (laughs) and the sumo wrestling team inside from New York to Hawaii. and back. Is that an apt analogy for raising kids? Yeah, it is. It's not for the faint of heart. So let let me just encourage you right now. Parents, your your children need you, and it's going to be a hard work, and they need discipline. They need discipline. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. You can turn there. Just read this on the screen. It's funny because Paul addresses children directly. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. We sing this song in my house. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We make it fun. (laughs) For that is right. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. There will come a time, kids, when you don't have to obey your parents anymore, when you leave the house, but you will always have to honor them. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So that's a command directly to children here. But I I want you to know, parents, there's an implicit command in this to you. And here it is. When you demand that your kids obey you, you are doing right. You are doing right. You are right to demand that. It is good for them to learn to obey you. It is good for them to learn the authority that is in their home. It teaches them how to honor God. It teaches them how to obey authority. And it's health-giving. It's actually different from the rest of the world where there's tumult and chaos and drama and nobody knows who's in charge and nobody believes or obeys anybody. That's not good for your children. It is good for you to demand obedience. James Dobson says this. This is a great statement. He said, and this is especially true when your kids are young, okay? When there is a battle of the wills between you and your children, and so, some of you know what I'm talking about. You got kids, willful, obe- willfully disobedient kids. When there's a battle of the wills between you and your children, parents, you need to win that battle. And James Dobson would say, you need to win it decisively. It's good for them. It gives them health. It helps them to know how to even check themselves when they're out of line. Otherwise, there's a loss of control. There's a loss of stability. Now, can parents get carried away with that? Absolutely, they can. I'm not advocating for that. But you need to let your kids know that you're in charge. You're the one before God that they have to answer to. You guys remember the Dear Abby newspaper columns? They're still around, but the original person that wrote them is no longer alive. Here's here's a good column that she wrote once. A child wrote in to Abby and said, Dear Abby, my problem is my mother. She's too lenient with me. She gets angry and punishes me, but then later she apologizes. Why should she when I had the punishment coming? Signed, mixed up in Cleveland. Abby writes back, dear mixed up in Cleveland. Your mother, like many others, fears that you will love her less because she has punished you. She is wrong. No child has ever resented punishment. He or she knew they had coming. Discipline is proof of love. 
that's biblical, by the way. I wouldn't agree with everything that she says in Dear Abby Colin, but I mean, that's biblical. Discipline is proof of love, she says. Children know this. I wish more parents did. The Bible says this, Proverbs 3, verse 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. That's even true of our relationship with the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Paul talked to children. Now he talks to fathers, interestingly. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul tells fathers to do that. Paul tells fathers to do that. So you might say, fathers, fathers, that's raising kids. That's woman's work. I, you know, I'm the, I'm the breadwinner in this house. I go off to work. I make the money, put the food on the table. Mama does the child raising, not according to the Bible. Mama's got her role. Mama's got her authority. Mama does her thing too. Trust me, she does. But dads, you take the lead on this. Dads, you're the ones that, that are told right here, lead your family in this way. Dads, are you all listening here? Everybody listening? Fathers, it's not Father's Day, but it might as well be. Let me just preach at you for a moment. You know, in Ephesians 5, just before this, Paul has already set the dynamics of the home in place. Husbands, you die to yourselves for your wives. You love your wives as Christ does the church. You're the leader. Well, that's great, but that means you die to yourself. Oh, I don't like that. That's what God has called you to do, to lead your homes. And then the, when Paul's mentioning children, he says, Fathers, you're the one that's taking the lead on this. Fathers, you don't provoke your children, but instead you bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Speaking of teaching, this is more than just discipline. There's a discipling to this. Go ahead and write this down as number four. Children need discipline, but they also need discipleship. And those words are etymologically linked. I hope you can see that. Discipline, discipleship, they're learners. And we're, we're doing the teaching as parents. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. Everybody see this? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and discipleship. Discipline and discipleship. You know, things changed in our culture during the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, I mean, this was much more normative in the, the home. The, the, the Christian home especially was a patriarchy. Dad worked from home. Dad was at home with the kids. Dad would, you know, he would husband the ground as a farmer or he would shepherd the sheep or he would cobble shoes or whatever his, his work was in the home, working in the home, and then the kids were there with them. And, and he would teach his vocation to the kids. And, and not just his vocation, he would teach them religion, teach them the truths of God's word. And all of that changed in the Industrial Revolution. Now, you know, dad takes his lunchbox and he goes off to work and he leaves the home. And pretty soon the, the home became not a patriarchy, but a matriarchy. And mom's in charge. And mom's the one that's doing the instructing. And mom's the one that's, that's giving even religious instruction. And so eventually you have Tom Sawyer who didn't want to go to church and didn't want to be taught by Aunt Polly because he thought it would womanize him. Y'all remember that? Now, listen, let me be clear about this. 
I'm not here to reverse the industrial revolution, okay? That ain't going to happen. So most of you men in this room, you're going to have to go off to work. You are to provide for your family. Unless we all, you know, go Amish and move to Arthur, this is what we got to do. Let me tell you, man, Ephesians 6, 4 still applies. You still have to do this. You still, fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Everybody with me? Let's just unpack those two terms here. Discipline, discipleship, discipline and instruction. Discipline has the idea of training. You train them. You nurture them with the use of discipline. You spank them when they are young. And I have some some very clear rules on spanking. If you want a private conversation, I can talk with you after. But spankings are sometimes necessary with kids, especially of the strong-willed variety. Some of your kids are going to need more spanking. Some of your kids are going to need less. I'll just speak from my own experience. When I was a kid, I needed a higher-than-average frequency of spankings. Can I say it that way? My mom swears that when James Dobson wrote that book, The Strong-Willed Child, he wrote it about me. And that book came out in 1978, and I was born in 1978. Providence, right there. So, I mean, I had, I needed my spankings, and I needed more than my goody two-shoes sister who needed a spanking like about once every decade. Love you, sister, if you're listening to this podcast right now. All my sister needed, honestly, was a stern word from my dad. And some of your kids are like that, and some of your kids are more like me. And wherever they are on that spectrum, you do right by your kids, and you discipline them. You discipline them in love. Sometimes that means reproof and correction. As they age, you can't spank a teenager, okay? You can't. It's unproductive. And there's more effective ways to discipline your kids as they grow. And, and by the way, there's, there's discipline and there's discipleship. There's, there's discipline and there's instruction. And you're constantly gauging this. And when your kids are young, you know, the, the instruction side of things, sorry, the instruction side of things is really low. And it's more discipline. But as they age, you're shifting, 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 shifting to a point where now they need less discipline. They don't need any spankings. They need less punishment. They need, they need instruction. They need teaching. They need help. Right? And then even as they move on, your parenting role never ends, really. You still have a role as advisor, counselor, as brother and sister in Christ to your children as they grow up in the Lord. It's not just discipline. Paul says we should also give them the instruction of the Lord. So parenting involves both of those. Let let me just say it this way. Let me be a little bit more direct with some of you. You are not a drill sergeant in your home, okay? You are not, okay? I know, I know I use that analogy. We're raising up an army of Jesus followers here at Harvest Decatur. Yes, but you are not a drill sergeant. You are not a police officer in your home just making your kids toe the line and obey the rules. You are a teacher. You are an instructor, You are a discipler of your children. You are chiseling out their character. 
You were stewarding their minds and their hearts and their wills to come into obedience to Christ. That is what you do. So you teach your kids about God and you teach your kids what you believe and you dispel their ignorance. I am tired as a pastor of seeing kids go off to college with a faith in Christ that is a mile wide and an inch deep. Teach your kids what to believe and and teach them well. I don't want them going to some college and some professor with some stupid first-rate argument that there is no God. And just like, oh, I never thought about that. Teach your kids. Prepare them for that. Why do we do this? Why do we focus on discipleship? Because you're not, you're not just going for behavior modification. You're not just going for compliance with your rules and regulations. What do you want with your kids? You want heart change. You want a heart change. You want them to be obedient to Christ. You're not just going for, oh, you know, wow, don't my kids look so obedient over there. Aren't I a good father? Aren't I a good mother? Forget that. Who cares about that? They're not there to just enhance your reputation. You want to disciple them. You want to train them. You want them to have conformity to God's will, not just to your will. Let's turn together to the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to take a breath here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. In this passage, we get this this wonderful exhortation from the Lord to the Israelites about how to parent children. And I know many of you have used this passage or some of it for a baby dedication. I think that's great and appropriate. But here's what Moses says to the Israelites 3,500 years ago. This passage is, is pretty much directly applicable to us as New Testament Christians, as it was 3,500 years ago to Old Testament Israelites. Here's what Moses says, starting in verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai, Echad. Here, this is the, the great covenant statement of the Israelites, the Shema, and they would teach this to this ch- their children. They would memorize this. And the reason that this statement was so key is because, you know, the, the Israelites they, they were surrounded by pagan polytheists. And so they wanted their kids to know, and they were training their kids as they were growing up, you're a monotheist. You have one God, and it is Yahweh. That is your God. Some of you might say, well, what does that have to do with my family, Pastor Tony? We're not Jewish. No, we're not Jewish. Maybe some of you are. But even if you're not Jewish, I'll say this. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so, is that how that goes? I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. The Yahweh, let me say this, let's be a little clear here. The Yahweh of the Old Testament is the same Yahweh that we gather and we worship here at Harvest Decatur. And, yeah, we don't live under the, the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Testament, We live under the new covenant, and here's the new covenant. Yahweh, everybody listening? Yahweh took on flesh, and he lived among us, and he died on a cross for our sins. So we can say, just like the Israelites said, Yahweh is our God. Look at verse 5. 
Moses says, you shall love Yahweh. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Does that sound familiar? Y'all heard that before? Does Jesus say that? Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, it's not just on your lips. It's not just lip service. You, you internalize it. It gets inside of you. It's on your heart. And verse 7, here it is, parents. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, at strategic moments all throughout the day, you are teaching your kids about the Lord. And let's just get really practical here with you. I think this involves, as parents, both formal and informal ways of teaching. You teach them formally and you teach them informally. Here's what I mean by that. Formally, you, you have Bible time with them. You take them to church on Sunday. You worship the Lord at church and you show your kids how to do that. That's formal. You know, when, when Alistair was young, th this was at bedtime. This was our bedtime routine. We would read the Bible, and we would pray together. We would talk about God. We would read God's Word. We would, you know, talk to God in prayer. We, we went through six, seven, eight different children's Bibles with him, just teaching him this is what we do, and just, just ingraining that in his life, into his habits. I remember Matt Chandler saying once, just as an encouragement to you, he said that for him and his family, sometimes the goal of devotional time is just to get through it without yelling at the kids. <laughs> or having the kids, you know, have a massive meltdown. And honestly, with Alistair, when he was younger, some of those times, devotional times, crashed and burned. They did. But the goal was to instill into the hearts of him. The goal here is to instill into the hearts of your children this is our God, and we serve him, and this is God's word, and we're going to obey him. So those are the formal times, right? You should have that formal time with your kids, but there's also informal times. There's, there's also these times, you know, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, those times when you're, you know, you're watching a movie or something, or, and, and something not God-honoring takes place in a movie and, or on TV or whatever. Does that ever happen? Yeah, that happens. And you pause it and you say, listen, son, listen, daughter, this is why that's not right. And this is what we believe. And this is, this is why you just need to ignore what you just heard there. Or, you know, when you're getting ready to go off to work as a dad and your kids are like, daddy, daddy, stay, you know, why do you have to go to work? Stay with us. And you say, look, look, daddy's got to work because the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And I've been tasked by the Lord to go and work and provide for you and mama. So I need to do this thing. That's an informal time of teaching, right? You're discipling, discipling, discipling. I'll just tell you in the Caffey household, the best times for this, typically now, since Alistair's a little older, is when we're, we're listening to music. And we, you know, just impromptu, you hear a song. And if you're listening to the right kinds of songs and right kinds of music, you'll have an opportunity to talk about God and kind of unpack that with your children. Even if you're listening to the wrong kinds of music, you'll have an opportunity to do that, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Country music. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> or hip-hop music or whatever. Look at verse 8. Moses says, you shall bind them, these, 
these rules, these commands, these instructions of the Lord as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What was, what was Moses telling the Israelites here? You know, in, in, in Jesus' day, and even today in Israel, if you go, you can see what are called phylacteries, these kind of packages of Scripture that are wrapped around a Hebrew, person's, Hebrew man's uh, wrist, or even sometimes they wrap them around their head, these little frontlets with a scripture package on the front, and these are called phylacteries. And here's my take on that, if you want to know it. I'll be honest with you, I love Jewish culture, I do. I'm a Hebraophile. But I don't think that's what Moses meant by this, okay? You know, Bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. That interpretation is hyper-literal with what Moses is saying here. What is he saying? What is, it, what is he saying there? He means bind them on your hands. Live them out with your actions. It's as if they're, they're bound around your hands. You know, live in such a way and think in such a way that the scriptures are wrapped inside of your head and just coming out. And even maybe your worldview glasses that you're putting on, you're, you're so informed by Scripture that everything you do is flowing from the truths of Scripture. Are you all with me here? Embrace the metaphor. It's not hyper-little. Embrace the metaphor here. And so I think those Jewish customs are, are wrong-headed. We need to let the Bible establish our worldview. We need to write them on the doorposts of our homes. In other words, what we do in the private lives of our homes need to reflect the truths of Scripture. We need to write them on our gates so that our, our public life too, not just private in the home, but also in the gates of the city, the, the public life and the private life both espouse the truths of Scripture by our actions. In many ways, it's, it's similar to that love, your, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength statement. This is holistic here. It, God wants it to permeate every part of our life. He, he wants others to see the impact that God's word has had on us. Not because they see scriptures literally on your hands and on your forehead, but they see it in who you are and how you act and also in who you become. Everybody with me? Does that make sense? So, so here's the application, parents. Here's the application. Let me, let me, let me be direct here. Your commitment to Scripture needs to be more than what you say. Your kids need to see it in what you do and how you live your lives. Don't just teach the Scriptures to your kids. Live out the Scriptures for your kids. Don't just preach obedience to God. Live out obedience to God. Some things are taught. Some things are caught. Right? Do our kids imitate us? Oh, yeah, they do. And sometimes that's not always great. So you need to teach your kids, but you also need to make sure that your kids are catching the right things with your actions, with what you're doing, so that as your kids grow up, they're, they're just imitating you. They saw what you did, and they're doing like you. I heard an illustration once about this, Ted Tripp, he tells a story about when he was a kid in Indiana. He used to pray with his dad all the time. And he, he would pray, and he, he would kind of pray like his dad. You know how 
kids do, boys do, daughters do. And so while he was praying with his dad, a little boy, Indiana, and he, and he started praying for the missionaries in the cornfields. And his dad stopped him while he was praying. He said, son, son, what, what are you talking about? Missionaries in the cornfields? There's no missionaries in the cornfields. What are you talking about? And his son said, well, dad, you pray for that all the time. Missionaries in the cornfields. And he said, no, 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 son, not the, not the cornfields, the foreign fields. I pray for the missionaries in the foreign fields. And the son was really glad to hear that because he thought there were missionaries out there in the cornfields of Indiana trying to win converse for Jesus. Do kids do like their parents do? Oh, yeah, they do. It's a scary thing. Some things are caught. Some things are taught. Don't just preach obedience to God, to your children. Practice obedience. Write this down as number five in your notes. These last three will come quicker. Children need peace from their parents. Children need peace from their parents. Is everybody listening? I want you to hear my heart in this. One of my favorite quotes of all time is this one by Tommy Nelson. And I want to encourage you as parents to give your children something different in their home than the tumult and the chaos and the drama and the craziness of this world. Give them something different. And Tommy Nelson says this. He says, if there is warmth and love and tenderness in the home between parents, you can violate just about every other child-rearing principle and still end up with a good kid. And then he says this. That's not an admonition. In other words, don't do that. Don't like set out to violate every child-rearing principle there is. It's not an admonition. It's a comfort. It's a comfort. If you love each other, if you demonstrate in the home, husband and wife, love for each other, care for each other, tenderness towards each other, forgiveness for each other, you, you can screw up just about everything else. And, and I think the opposite of that is true as well. On the other side of that, you can do everything right as a parent. You can do everything right. You can, you can teach your kids all the finest things. You can feed them all the finest foods, gluten-free, with no preservatives or artificial sweeteners. You can do everything right. You can, you can go above and beyond what other parents do. You, you can homeschool them. You can never let them listen to Taylor Swift on the radio. You can do everything right as a parent, but if, if they don't see love and tenderness and warmth and forgiveness and health in your home, if they don't see that, they will reject every single thing that you tell them. I heard a pastor call it slingshot parenting. The more you deny what you say you believe in your actions, you're just pulling your kids back farther and farther in the slingshot. As soon as they turn 18, as soon as they're ready to get out, they're gone as far away from you as they can get. Jesus calls this hypocrisy. So give, give your kids a house of peace. They need it. They need it. Some of you grew up in houses that lack peace. I know that God's grace was so good. 
and providing for you. But we can do better than that. A couple more things. Write this down as number six. Children need grace from their parents. Children need grace from their parents. And parents need grace from their children. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Your children need the gospel. Amen? Your children need the gospel. Why do they need the gospel? Because they're sinners. And, and let me just be really clear about this. Dad's a sinner. Mom's a sinner. They get married, have kids. Wouldn't you know it? They gave birth to a sinner. Who saw that coming? And your kids need grace. They're sinners growing up. You know, a peaceful home, let me be clear about this. A peaceful home is not a perfect home. I'm not saying that. It's not a perfect home. But it needs it needs grace because your kids are sinners. They're growing up. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to sin. They're going to need grace. Some of the dumbest ideas that come out in our world from quote-unquote experts, dumb, dumb ideas, have to do with this issue. People will say things like, you know, children are inherently innocent. People who are credentialed out the wazoo, write books about kids, have all kinds of degrees, they'll say things like children good. They're inherently righteous. They're inherently sinless. They're inherently innocent. And I, I just think to myself, when, when I hear this stuff, do these people do research? Do they have any empirical evidence? Have they ever seen kids in action? They're, you know, they're sinners. Is that not obvious? It's not something that they just learned. They, they're born that way. And this, this is not a new idea. This is an old idea. This goes back all the way to Jean-Jacques Rousseau and others who talked about the innocence of, of children who are raised and the parents corrupt them. And, and if we just let them be innocent, they'll stay innocent. And it's dumb, 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 dumb. What was I talking about? Grace. Oh, yeah, Grace. Your kids need grace. And your goal, your goal as a parent is to not raise good kids. Your goal is to raise gospel kids. That's what we're doing. And that's more than just like cutting them a little slack when they're messy at home. There's more to it than that. There's a, there's a fully orbed, theological paradigm in that you raise your children so that they know without a doubt that they are in need of a savior and you turn them towards Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and bestows grace upon them don't raise up little self-righteous Pharisees and don't raise up defeatist children who can never measure up to your expectations teach them the way of grace show them grace and finally one final thing children need to be released by their parents children need to be released Paul Tripp in his book on parenting he says this this may be convicting for some of you God didn't give you your children to build your reputation but to publicly proclaim his And one of the things that Tripp emphasizes in that book is that ultimately the children that God gives us, they, they don't belong to us, they belong to God. And one of the mistakes that we can make as parents is trying, I see this too much in Christian circles, parents who try to derive their identity from their kids. Can I, can I just be honest with you? 
that is cruel on your children. That is unfair to them. Don't do that to them. Your identity is not in your kids. Your identity is in Christ. And your kids need to learn, too. Their identity is not in you as their parent. They need to learn that their identity is in Christ. Here's an important reminder. I'll close with this. We're going to take communion in just a second and celebrate Christ. But I want to close with this. Parents, you don't own your children. They belong to God. Too many Christians make idols of their kids. Too many Christian parents, good parents, try to prioritize their kids above God. If you put your kids above God, you put them at risk. And you put yourself at risk, too. So we've got to constantly be giving our children over to the Lord, constantly pointing our children to the Lord. Because one day they will leave our homes. And we want their allegiance to God to continue even, if they're, even after they stop taking orders from us. We want their allegiance to God to, to, to go on even after they leave our homes. I was doing some math yesterday. This was really sobering for me. And here's what I calculated. I calculated that if Alistair leaves for college on August 15th, 2025, if he does this, that means that Sonia and I have 2,022 days until he leaves our home. Some of you have more. Some of you have less. It's good that I have 2,022 days because I got about 2,022 lessons left to teach him. So if I average one a day, we'll, we'll get through it all. You know, that verse that I quoted earlier, and I love how George preached on this, you know, that, that image of the, the bow and the arrow and the arrows and the quiver. Our kids are meant to be a weapon against Satan and the forces of evil in this world. We're meant to fire them into the world to make a difference for the Lord. Genesis 2.24 says man shall leave. Someday your kids are going to leave. Man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. One day we're going to have to release our kids into God's care. Someday they're going to have to survive in this world physically, emotionally, and spiritually in this brave new world that we're living in. So we need to be getting them ready for that. And we need to be praying for them and pressing this vision into their lives. Fear God, know God's word, and follow Christ. Some of you have more time than I. Some of you, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't got any kids at this church, Pastor Tony. Please pray for the parents that are in this room. Grandparents, help, help the parents. If you don't have kids at all, you can still have a role in this. All of us serving the Lord, being obedient to this. Our goal in our prayer for them, by the way, is not compliance. Our goal for them is that someday they'll say, God is my God, not my dad's God, not my mom's God. God is my God. Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I will follow him. That's the goal. Let's pray towards that end right now, and then we can take communion together. Lord, we acknowledge this morning 
that children are a blessing from the Lord. And the world that tries to marginalize children, this world that aborts children or adultifies them, God, we defy that. We defy it. And we believe that they are a gift that you have given us. And yet at the same time, Lord, they don't belong to us. They belong to you. And we're constantly preparing, preparing, preparing them for life after us. Help us with that, Lord. God, we have so many kids at Harvest Decatur, so many precious little Imago Day children. And we have so many good parents, Lord. What I'm preaching today, I think, is being lived out by so many of our parents here at Harvest Decatur. Lord, encourage them. Help them to not quit. Help them to press on. Help them to do that hard work. And Holy Spirit, give them the tools. Give them the instruction they need to do this task well. God, we turn our attention now to to the new covenant of Christ's blood, your death, your resurrection that paid for our sins. May this time be faith building for us and a reminder of what you did for us. Work now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask our worship team to come forward and prepare to pass communion.